Welcome to an informed live radio on 1150 AM KKNW and streaming live to CHD TV. It's so wonderful to be here this afternoon, this evening, um, talking to you all. We've been on a, on a long journey together. Um, and you know, in one, in some areas, things are getting, um, worse. And in other areas, a lot of awakening is happening. And, you know, I, I think of this as like a healing crisis, a healing catharsis, what is going on in the world today. There were a lot of people prior to COVID who saw systemically a lot of things going wrong. And, you know, the focus of this show is mostly health. A lot of things going wrong in health. It was, it has become a medical industry, um, with captured agencies doing the oversight and things were getting worse. And there were a lot of us who are activists who were trying to get attention and, and, and gain some traction to, to improve things. But most of the world didn't want to hear, you know, they didn't, they didn't want to stand up and be heard. COVID changed that. And so while it does at times seem as if things have gotten really horribly bad and they have, it is also part of that healing crisis. Everything that is wrong is being revealed. And I believe we will, if we keep at it, emerge into this much better place. We will leave this nation and this planet a much better place for our children. So we just have to have faith Um that we can do this. And this show, this next two hours is dedicated to the best of humanity, of what humans have been through and seen and the good things that they have written and done and people who have stood their ground, found the moral courage to um, resist coercion and to set about for change. Um, this, the first hour we have, um, one of my favorite dear people in the world, we have Scott Shera, who is coming on the show. Um, Scott is a father of grace, who um, there's, um, oh, and we also have Javier in the house. I want to pause a moment here and say hi, Javier. I'm so glad you Hello. could make Good to be here. It's good to see. It looks like, am I seeing a haircut? Is it? A uh, brand new haircut. Absolutely. Brand new haircut. Brand I'm liking haircut. it. Okay. So those of you who are just on the radio, you know, we all have to tune in to CHD TV and check out Dr. X's uh, new haircut. He's sporting his too. Yeah. So as I was explaining to our listeners, where this is the two hours about courage today. The first hour is going to be Scott Shera, who's this wonderful dad who lost his daughter, Grace, in ways that he shouldn't have. And with him is Ken McCarthy, author of a book about the, the 75th um, anniversary of the Nuremberg Code. Um, and I, I'm glad to see them on here. In our next hour, we're bringing on a firefighter who has a personal journey about COVID and moral courage that we're going to be talking about. But first, um, Dr. X, let's welcome um, Scott and Ken McCarthy to an Informed Life Radio. Thank you. 
Yeah. Thank you for having me again. Yeah. Um, very pleased. Your, your story, your journey, Scott, and that of your dear Grace um, is going to be part of the healing journey to, to bring the world to where it should be. Um, her experience revealed much and uh, much that we should have learned through the Nuremberg Code and what was experienced that generated that great document and many other wonderful humanitarian um, documents that followed that currently seem to be absolutely ignored. Um, um, let's see, do you gentlemen, have you been working a little bit together? Is that correct? Um, lately, you've been talking and working a little bit together we, on... We have a common colleague, uh, Vera Sharav. Yes. Yeah. Could could one of you um, talk about Vera a little bit? I don't have her bio in front of me, but she is... Well, I've been working with Vera most recently, uh, helping her prepare for her presentation in Nuremberg. Mm -hmm. So maybe, maybe Scott, it's okay if I jump in and do that. Sure, and then I'll I'll explain how I met Vera then too because it's a pretty unique story. Oh, I, okay. I'm curious. I don't know that one myself. All right. Um, well, Vera, uh, at age three, uh, the Nazis came to Romania and they took uh, Vera and her family. And at, in the middle of the night and transported her to a concentration camp uh, in what is now uh, the Ukraine. Uh, her father died there of uh, typhus, as so many people did, uh, a disease that's treatable. But the Nazis chose to suppress treatment of it for concentration camp inmates, mm -hmm. uh, not too unlike some of what's going on today. Uh, at age six, when it was obvious, or it was becoming obvious, the Germans were going to lose the war, uh, some people were trying to clean house and make themselves look nicer. So they developed a program to send um, uh, orphans back from the concentration camp to Romania. And Vera's mother lied to the authorities and told them that she was an orphan. Uh, and that's how, otherwise she would be dead today, mm -hmm. right? So when we when when we worry about uh, you know twenty four hour three hundred sixty degree surveillance and and everything being nailed down one hundred percent, that's one reason to worry about it because this is a person that wouldn't be with us today had such a system existed. So Vera survived. She was separated from her mom for four long years at age six, in the chaos mm. of war. Um, somehow, <laughs> made it to the United States. Somehow got you know married, had children, developed a career, and then uh, uh, one of her sons uh, died as a result of a pharmaceutical product that wasn't the risks of which were not adequately explained to her or to her doctor. Mm. So this began a, a quest on her part to try to understand how could this have happened, and in the process of understanding what happened, she realized, wow, we have one messed up medical system, yeah. and um, because she is a a Holocaust survivor, uh, she um, has some very important things to say about what what kind of thinking and programs led to the Holocaust and enabled the Holocaust. And she's straight up very clear in her mind that what's going on today, different in detail, absolutely identical, different in detail, but absolutely identical in spirit, what we're going through today. Mm -hmm. Sort of manic uh, authoritarian control, heartless, mindless, destructive. 
Mm-hmm. That's that's Vera. So, it, it, you mind if I continue uh, this one last little piece? No, this is doing great. But before you go on, I just want to know, see if anybody has anything clicking in their background. We're getting an intermittent clicking. Oops. Um, if you can, my, huh? did it stop? Yeah. I have a pen that I'm nervously clicking. Oh, that's All funny. Right. Okay. <laughs> you have good ears. Yeah. <laughs> okay. That, that, that I will I will cease and desist. Okay. Um, <laughs> so I, so I was uh, talking with Vera early this month. In fact, August second. And she said, I'm going to Nuremberg. I said, really? She goes, yes, it's the 75th anniversary of the Nuremberg Code. Now, I knew of the Nuremberg Code, and I kind of knew it was the 75th anniversary, but I wasn't conscious. Oh, dear, we have a, a freeze. Hopefully, Ooh. he'll come right back. Oh, let's see. Hello? Yeah. He froze. Yes. He, okay. He froze well. Out. Um, Scott, you are not frozen at this time. So I think what we'll yeah, do I'll is we'll shift in. over to you. Thank you. So what what Ken was leading to, and Ken will talk about his book about the Nuremberg Code, I'm sure, but uh, Children's Health Defense uh, broadcast this 75th anniversary last Saturday. And Vera's speech was the keynote speech at the 75th anniversary of the Nuremberg Code. And she knocked it out of the park. Mm-hmm. I listened to it three times. It was so good. She, she laid out the status of the world today, and uh, it's it's available, obviously, on, on Children's Health Defense uh, website. The um, So how I met Vera is in the process of Grace's research. In April, uh, I finally concluded. I had about 500 hours of research in in April, and I finally concluded that I, I came to believe Grace was murdered. And that took me a lot because I'm very analytical. I don't want to accuse somebody before I have all the facts. And that naturally led to why. And so the why led to genocide. Well, then uh, in June, myself and our PR director, between him and I, we probably had 200 hours of research into the Holocaust. And I was listening to a podcast by Alex Newman in which he had Vera on. And the idea was we were going to summarize all of our Holocaust research and take this out to the airwaves and start broadcasting it. And after I listened to the interview Vera had with Alex Newman, I thought to myself, why would anybody listen to me when they can listen to her? And so then on July 8th, um, God has been so amazing. I get goosebumps just telling this because you can't make this up. So, you know, I'm just a dummy. So I start looking her up and I call a phone number that's online. This is on July 8th. And a, a lady answers the phone and I say, I'd like to talk to Vera. And she starts quizzing me, just hammering me, bam, 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 bam. And so all of a sudden I must have passed the quiz and she says, I'm Vera. And so her and I chat for about 20 minutes then. And this was on a Thursday. Uh, Saturday, I was at the Red Pill Expo in Indianapolis, and I, you know, I realized that, you know, I need to fly out to New York and meet her because I really want to do interviews with her together. And in order to do that, you know, you you've got to have some type of relationship. So I called her from Red Pill. I asked her if she had a day the following week that I could fly to New York and meet her and chat for a few hours, go to dinner, and and she. Um, as gracious as you could be, she says, oh, Scott, you can't 
you can't be doing you can't be doing that. You don't you don't know if the pilots have been jabbed. And so then we set up we set up a, um, a Zoom call instead the following Wednesday, and we chatted for a couple hours. And um, she has become a friend. I mean, I I'm surprised, uh, you know, it would be that fast. And she's she's so f- she's just fun. She's sharp. You know, she doesn't mind me telling the whole world she's 85, as she says. I can't I can't hide it anymore because if I don't tell them my real age, they won't think I was there. So <laughs> she doesn't. <laughs> she's just is she's just an absolute gift. Uh, so we've been on a half a dozen interviews together. We've got some real big ones coming up in September. Um, the reason she's not on this one is because she's in Germany yet. So, you know, she won't be back until uh, the week of Labor Day. And then we have our interview uh, team going again once she comes back. Wow, that is so beautiful. It, you know, the silver lining, this really interesting time in history we're going through has got these moments that just, they're very powerful. And I'm glad, so glad that you guys got to uh, get together. I want to remind our radio listeners and CHD listeners, in case you're new to them, um, Scott, what happened that you had an adult daughter? Um, Grace was, I forget her age, 20? She was 19. Good good guess, though. 19 years old um, and had COVID. And what do you have like your uh, quick summary? Uh, yeah, tips? I'll just, I'll give you the first, I'll just tell you a little bit about Grace because, you know, Grace had Down syndrome. So that's the first thing. She was 19. Uh, most people don't have a Down syndrome person in their life, but if you do, you know that that they are just an unbelievable blessing. They love unconditionally, just as a group. I mean, it just is, seems to be all of them have this, and Grace certainly had it. Uh, had the love chromosome more than anybody I've ever met. She was she was an absolute gift from God, and and I have something here I've only shared one time because I brought it from home. I'm going to share it right now so people, the ones who are viewing online can uh, can watch it, but the ones that are on radio, uh, Bernadette, you can describe it. So I'm going to hold it up here. Okay. okay. So do you see this? You see the sign that I'm holding? You're holding up. It's a, it's a photo of a street and there's a street sign that like a caution and it shows a bicycle and then a pedestrian and an Correct. arrow. Yes. So this is where you know, pedestrians and bikes can cross the road here, right? Yeah. So Grace, Grace had quite a sense of humor. And so, and she saw the world through a lens of humor. So when she saw that sign for the first time, she said, dad, look at that sign. It says, watch out for falling bikes. (laughs) 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 Well, that, she just was, she was just an absolute special kid. Um, so the short version of what happened with Grace, she went into the hospital with COVID on October 6th. Um, I was taken out by an armed guard on October 10th for challenging their care. Uh, we had 44 hours without an advocate. My daughter, Jessica, became the replacement advocate because my wife could not um, be there because she had COVID. And then on Grace's last day, they called the doctor called Cindy and I at eight o'clock in the morning for the fifth time asking for a pre-authorization for a ventilator. We said no. And 
at that point, I believe, so everything I'm going to say regarding these details is right out of the records, but what I'm going to tell you right now is speculative because I believe when we said no for the fifth time, they had to take a different path to take Grace out because if we would have said yes, Grace would have been on a ventilator and she would have ultimately died on a ventilator. But because we didn't agree to that, they had to figure out a different way to take her out. So that's my speculation. Um, I believe they took her out because of genocide, which we can go on that tangent after I tell this brief story. So there is really three causes of death. They had sedated Grace for four days prior against the package insert. The package insert for Presidex says to not use for more than 24 hours. If you do, it causes acute respiratory failure. The first cause of death listed on Grace's death certificate was acute respiratory failure. The hospital received a $7,500 bonus for listing that as the first cause of death. They listed the second cause of death as COVID-19 pneumonia. Nothing could be further from the truth. So the first cause of death was true. They caused it because they used the sedation drug for 48 hours before her last day when it says to not use for more than 24 Um the second cause of death, COVID, they received a $13,000 bonus for listing that cause of death. The The real second cause of death was on top of the Presidex. In the lat, <clears throat> so they had Grace on a dose of 14 times the original dose of Presidex almost all day on her last day. Then on top of that, they gave her two doses of lorazepam three minutes apart and a dose of morphine all in a 29-minute window. So she had a combination of three meds that nobody could have survived. That's and in order euthanasia shot. Correct. In order for that to happen, you know, so not only are those meds not there against the morphine package insert, but for that to happen, the doctor had to order them. The pharmacist had to sign off. The, the hospital alarm had to be shut off because those meds are con- uh, contraindicated. And the nurse in charge of Grace's care that day had 14 years of ICU experience. So it's it's crazy. The, the worst and the third cause of death was, I'll just describe it. Jessica called us, Cindy and I, at, at 7.20 the evening of Grace's death. They had given her the morphine at 6.15, so it's an hour and five minutes later, and she's calling panicking. She said, Dad, Grace's numbers are dropping like crazy. I said, get the nurses in. She said, they won't come in. So I so Cindy and I start screaming, save our daughter. And they holler back to us, she's DNR, which means do not resuscitate. And we holler back, she's not DNR, save our daughter. They refused. And we watched Grace die on a FaceTime call seven minutes later. Mm-hmm. The morphine package insert requires a reversal drug to be bedside and the patient to be monitored. Mm-hmm. Neither one happened. We found out after the fact that Tom Renz is involved with Grace's case. He hired a medical malpractice nurse as part of the review process. And she told me, Scott, you're missing at least a thousand pages of records. She wrote a request then for those extra thousand pages and she was right on. There was 948 pages missing. And that's where we found the smoking gun. Page 853, we saw that the doctor put an illegal DNR order on Grace at 1056 that morning, eight minutes after they had increased the Presidex to 14 times the original dose. So that's the short version of wow. why I'm here. And and we have learned that that's not an isolated incident, what happened to your Grace. We had on the show last week a young woman um, I'm not quite sure her age, but her fiance was only about 32, healthy, no pre-existing conditions. 
and went into the hospital with COVID and didn't, and said no to remdesivir and no to venting and kept refusing, he um, improved to the point where they were going to discharge him. And at discharge, they were putting him through something um, Ashley, his fiance, called a uh, education like little session. And he um, and they educated him on the COVID shot. And he says, no, I'm not getting that vaccine. I mean, why would he? He's got natural immunity now. And he kept saying no. And then they changed their mind and didn't discharge him. They said, we're going to keep you one more night. And in the records, it shows that that night they gave him morphine. I won't, I I, I don't remember all the full details, but he passed away two weeks later. Oh, my God. Having lost 86 pounds. um, Yeah, it. She was banned from the hospital room, too, for daring to um, ask questions and and stand up for him. So, you know, that brings us back to why you are here again, Scott, and why Ken McCarthy is here, who has a best-selling book on the 75th anniversary of the Nuremberg Code, because we are seeing that, that code that should have taught humanity never again. We're seeing that violated, and it was violated by that hospital, by the doctor and nurse and pharmacist who allowed this to go on. Um, so I'll let, I'm glad you're back. Um, I, yeah. Internet. Yeah. Um, crashed, yeah. And I'm trying to remember where you were in the journey of your story of you um, with Vera. So, so Ken, what I did is I, I explained that Vera had a knock it out of the park speech last Saturday. And so I got to that point, but then you were just kind of getting up to this the speech and then going to tell about your book. Yeah, and and before we go there, I just want to tell Thanks. listeners that if they want to hear that, go to CHDTV and go to their um, events tab, and you can watch the whole presentation. And Vera's there, and a lot of other fabulous speakers. So yes, Ken, go ahead. Let's see. So so we were talking, and she said, okay. Um, uh, I'm just trying to reorient myself to, yeah, that's okay. to my surroundings. Oh, my goodness. Okay, there we go. Here we go. Okay, now it's working. All right. Um, and she said, oh, it's the 75th anniversary this month. I said, oh, wow, that's significant. So I went to the internet and I typed in Nuremberg 75th anniversary. And what do you think came up on this whole global internet with the gazillions of pages and yeah. not a single listing? Not one. So then I started thinking, well, let's see, we've got medical schools and I did a little research and I found out quickly that there's 35 medical schools that give degrees in medical ethics. And I checked every single one of those medical schools to see if maybe I'd overlooked something. They had somehow missed the 75th anniversary. Um, Mm -hmm. I checked some other organizations, which maybe Vera will talk about someday, and um, they are not uh, commemorating the 75th anniversary. So I thought, well, Maybe this is such an obscure thing, nobody noticed. So I checked 50th anniversary and 70th anniversary. And indeed, when those important milestones occurred, there were events, there were papers, there were uh, colloquia, there were seminars. So a lot went on. Mm -hmm. Now, a lot of us are aware that uh, accompanying this utter silence among the medical ethics industry uh, it's interesting that it's, it is an industry like everything else. I mean, think about it. Um, 
there are there's jobs. You could get a job as a medical ethicist. And I, I looked up the average salary of a medical ethicist is about a hundred thousand dollars and change. And to be a, a professor of medical ethics, the average there is about a hundred and fifty thousand. And they have their own uh, national association with you know not quite two thousand members, but you know a fair number. So there's thousands of these guys running around and eight hours a day, five days a week. They're drawing a paycheck to be medical ethicists. And somehow they missed the 75th anniversary of arguably important medical ethics code. I'm wondering if the ones that would have officially through the university done something, if they had lost their jobs during COVID and weren't around anymore to be the ones to, you know, make this happen. Wasn't there a medical ethicist in California that lost his job? There's mm-hmm. one for sure in da- was it Davis University of California Davis? I think it was Riverside UC Riverside. Riverside Riverside. Yeah. Yeah, and that might have been a message to the rest of them. You know, if you <laughs> yeah. like if you like your job, um, yeah, best say, best say nothing. But but content. But there's a, there's another piece to this seesaw. On the one hand, no no discussion of of the anniversary. On the other hand, scores of articles in the last two years on how the Nuremberg Code is irrelevant and does not apply to anything related to COVID. Are you kidding industry. me? Are you kidding me? <laughs> oh, I'm not kidding you. I hired someone to, to do a, a, it's going to be in the next book. Um, no, many articles, yeah. many articles. See, that, that has, that, it's intentional, yeah. right, Javier? It I ha- guess I should introduce I introduce um, Javier to both of you. He is my sidekick, my uh, sometimes co-host, and he is a has a PhD in neurobiology. So oh, yeah, cool. I, I love his insights into things. And plus, he's a dad and just an all-around great guy. So he's he's great to have in on these conversations. But yeah, doesn't it seem intentional? I mean, well, <laughs> it is. you know, there's an old yeah. saying: um, one time is is an accident, twice is a coincidence, three times is enemy activity. Yeah. Enemy activity. Yeah. Yeah. The the only reason that I that I say that it it has to be uh, um, uh, uh, done consciously is that in order to get a PR and marketing campaign off the ground, you need to coordinate with multiple stakeholders across different industries and across different uh, platforms. So, in order to get that sort of coordination, where you overlook or completely ignore Nuremberg, you basically state, uh, you know human rights uh, and, and, and medicine and medical ethics are irrelevant now. Mm-hmm. That is not an oversight. Like you said, that's enemy action at that point. Yeah. Right? yeah. And, you know, Bernadette, the hopeless optimist, seeing the silver lining and yeah. watching where things are going, I feel like, you know, it's creeping out into mainstream. Yeah. What's going on? It's It's not just those of us that were what they would call fringe, even leading into this. And we've got some mainstream outfits. I mean, every conservative talk radio host in this nation is looking at this from all angles of everything that's going on. That's violating human rights. um, You know, our, all of our unalienable rights given to us by God and protected by our constitution and by the Nuremberg code and, and all the other great um, codes as well that have emerged since then. Um, so, so then you two found each other. How did that come about? Well, Vera told me about Scott and I said, Oh, tell me more. <laughs> and so I got Scott's email and then we, we got together 
and learn Scott's story and thought, well, maybe we could appear together occasionally. Mm -hmm. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Well, when uh, it's all part of the reason that makes sense is because when I'm used to doing uh, as many as five to six interviews a day. So when I was talking with Vera right away, I said, Vera, now that we've agreed to do this, we could, you know, we could have 50 interviews in the next week or two. And, you know, <laughs> she, she was very gracious. Again. <laughs> she said, Scott, I can only do one or two a week. So. <laughs> Yeah, <laughs> which you know, so yeah, that's I get that. You know, I, I, uh, she's just a couple of years older than I am, even though I've got plenty of age on me. So Ken, <laughs> Ken and I, Ken and I can fill in the blanks when Vera, when Vera can. Yeah, yeah. So so much needs to be said and done, and I think uh, a lesson for us all who are in this fight for for what's right is to pace ourselves, to find out where we can be most effective and then make sure we carve out enough time for family, for ourselves, for our own health. You know, we tend to put our health last and, you know, we're not going to get far on this mission if we begin to fall apart. So we right. do need to take that time. Um, yeah. So spoken, we spoken like a very wise mother. Thank you. <laughs> Although, you know, I'm kind of pathetic because it's like my idea of giving myself a break is to walk away from the computer and do the dishes. <laughs> so, but I will put something really silly fun on that has nothing to do with anything going on. Usually something from a long time ago, some silly old sitcom. But it, but even then, it's funny when you hear things said. Like there was this episode, I'm really squirreling here, guys, but there was this episode of Bob Newhart I was watching, you know, and, and Emily was a school teacher. And she had this meeting and she had all the other teachers there and they're all talking and she's holding up this new book, a biology book that she wants to introduce that is like fourth and fifth grade or something like that. And they're complaining because they thought it was just, it was too much information for that age. And it was really the most innocent, you know, depiction of anything that you can imagine. And I'm like, oh, how times have changed. Wow. Um, and, you know, in many ways, not for the better. So it is kind of funny to see. And then I did see this this movie. I'm scrolling again. There's a 2018 uh, movie that stars Nicolas Cage called The Humanity Bureau. Hmm. You might not want to watch it unless you feel like you could just, OK, I'm going to tune it out after. But <laughs> but I think if I had watched it in 2018, I would have thought, oh, yeah, you know, that's one of those type of movies. Right. You know humanity's going in a wrong direction but you watch it now you're like i mean some of the dialogue and imagery is right out of today even to mm -hmm. the point where the kids who are sort of on the wrong side of things are standing on a stage with an american flag behind them and you know and then one of them stands up and says the national anthem and you know it's like okay anyway um well, you know, there, is, there, was, <laughs> there is a lot of i don't know if there were any military themes in that movie were there? Well, yeah, it was really focused on this this um, this guy whose job with the Humanity Bureau was to go to people who had been chosen that they weren't doing enough for society. They they couldn't earn enough, 
to not only take care of themselves, but give back to society. And, and, and it was expected that you did your part to support others. So if you couldn't in your current lifestyle situation do that, they went to get you and they sent you to New Eden. Well, you know, I, the, reason, the reason I ask about the military is that Hollywood is very permeable to suggestion. Oh, yeah. Uh, and um, on the military side, there are actually offices set up to assist yeah. Hollywood in portraying the military correctly. I would not be, which you just described as a World um, uh, Economics Forum theme. Oh, yes. And, and I would not be surprised if they have a, if that director may be even, or, or the screenwriter or the producer um, is a world economics well, forum favorite except for it was a warning <laughs> it or, was a or, warning or, or, no, or a normalization you see right. it in the movie yeah, yeah. and you think oh that's crazy and then it happens in real life and you go oh yeah i saw this in a movie right that's true it could be normalization i know for decades um the chd a chd i'm sorry i'm always getting cdc CHD. <laughs> i wish it was um chd wouldn't it be wonderful if they were advisors to hollywood we got to make that happen um but but there are, you know, there's like some little unit for a while I had a name for it and I can't remember. And I know that there's some attorneys that are digging down into it. But if you've got anything medical going on in your, your script, you contact these people and they guide you. And believe me, they are not saying to them, well, in your plot, it's okay to advise the mom to say no to the vaccine. No, right. if they're going to have a vaccine in it, it's some kid dies wow. because the mother said no, right? They they shape and have influenced forever. Yeah. So right. it, you know, it the, CD, the CDC has a 100,000 square foot media center in Atlanta. 100,000 square feet. That's wow. a lot of space. I know how much space that is viscerally. That's a lot. You, you can fit a lot of bodies in 100,000 square feet. Yeah. And yeah, and, and yet they couldn't figure out the top agency in the planet that's supposed to be serving the health and looking out for individuals couldn't use one square foot to celebrate the 75th anniversary of the Nuremberg Code. Yeah. yeah. So um, let's there's, so there's, one, there's one little thing, though, and maybe you all know this, but we, we should remind people if they don't know it. Do you know who the head of bioethics is for the National Institute of Health? Uh, is it um, Anthony Fauci's wife, Christine yeah, Grady? Christine yeah. Grady. Yeah. Just, just wanted to throw that out there in case anybody, because it is, it's related to ethics. Is she stepping down as well? That's a good question. Probably not because nobody even knows she has that job. So she's got exactly. no heat on her. So that, that kind of begs the question. I had never heard of that office, that role or her name until I watched an episode of the amazing Polly, right. You know, a year or two ago and she dug up this connection. So what does this woman do to earn her salary and how does she serve Americans with ethics? I know I'm kind of saying this in jest because she really is a communist. She's a self-professed commutarian. Oh, really? I believe is what she calls herself. It's a wow. weird name. Um, yeah. Well, she, but. you know, she wrote a book uh, uh, on the, on the AIDS vaccine and ethics uh, issues related to the AIDS vaccine. And I read that book, and I have a copy. And to me, it is a deliberate uh, watering down of Nuremberg-type principles. The idea that mm -hmm. we're in a new era, that we have a new, we have new risks, we have new technologies. She didn't specifically say, let's get rid of the Nuremberg Code, but that's the conclusion that you would come to based on mm -hmm. her, her uh, book. 
Well, quick question for you, Ken. I've been noticing a trend in where you have a lot of bioethicists that are members of, say, the uh, uh, um, several institutes that seem to have a particular agenda alignment. And the quality of bioethicists that I've seen at, at Columbia, at Harvard, at Yale, at Princeton is appalling because they, they've made statements in 10 years ago, no bioethicist would have made mm-hmm. with regards to experimental drugs, hospitalization or medical treatments and how to treat other people. And I don't know if that's something you've, you've observed in your research. It's, it's something I want to dig into a little deeper because I've, I've noticed it too. Uh, but one thing that may sh- shed some light on this, it was uh, either July or August of 2020. And I'm reading the Princeton Alumni Weekly. And uh, they had a full page spread, two pages of all the grants, COVID-related grants that Princeton had received. Every department, sociology, statistics, mathematics, architecture, computer science, that early in the game, it was already a, a money uh, trial for them. And, and they were on board. I, I wrote, <laughs> they wouldn't print a single letter I wrote. And I wrote every month asking what's going on. Is there, is there, am I the only alumnus of that entire school that has a little concern? You would never know, know from reading that, that magazine. It was a cash cow for them. Unbelievable. Wow. Just unbelievable. The amount of money that our federal government printed and handed out, borrowed, I, I you know, I don't understand economics and finances, but even I could concede that a, a, a nation that was already hugely in debt, where the heck are they getting this money? And I really felt I didn't like the fact that a couple, two or three times, the federal government sent us money through this whole COVID. You know, each if you had paid taxes, filed taxes the year before, you got a check. And I, I, I don't say this because I'm some wonderful noble person or something, but I didn't like that they were doing it. We, my husband and I, were doing well. We didn't need the money. He was still employed, and I just felt like, what do I do with it? I'm not going to send it back to them. They're just going to waste it. So I divided it between friends who had lost their job or were in a difficult position and, and, you know, kind of laundered it, I guess, as it were. So I didn't feel so bad about it, but yeah. Well, um, to give you a perspective of money, the federal, the annual federal budget is $5 billion or $5 trillion. Yeah. The amount of money paid to hospitals in the first two years of COVID through January of 2022 was $4 trillion in bonus money to hospitals to kill people. And the <laughs> entire federal budget is only $5 trillion. Yeah. Hey, so Scott, that gives you, you a perspective. Scott, do you know the details of the remdesivir program? I think the, the hospitals were getting $20,000 for each remdesivir case. I, the only reason I didn't study remdesivir specifically is because Grace didn't go on it. So I didn't, oh, I didn't drill okay. that one down. We, we rejected remdesivir and re- rejected the ventilator. I did drill down the ventilator because of the fact that they pressed us five different times to put Grace on a ventilator. So I thought, what is the reason? After, you know, you, after Grace died and you start getting wise to what's happening, remember, I knew none of this beforehand. You guys were all awake. I've only woken up through Grace's story. And so I drilled down ventilators, but I never drilled down remdesivir. Gotcha. Yeah. I, and, and this, I have to find the details, but I think, you know, every COVID case made the cash register ring. Uh, every vent case made the cash register ring. But every uh, every course of, of remdesivir 
uh, was a payday. Yeah. Um, well, here's a, a statistic on remdesivir, a couple of them. So th- these are mind blowing. So when you start looking at what's going on and if people are questioning your sanity, when you start explaining it, just explain a couple of facts. So with remdesivir, the dose regimen is a minimum of five doses. Three, anybody that gets three doses or more statistically has a 75% chance risk of death. So it has a 75% kill rate, three doses or more. The United States is the only country that has remdesivir as the standard of care. We only have 4.5% of the world's population, yet we're the only country with over 1 million deaths related to COVID. Well, it's directly related to the treatment protocol of remdesivir and ventilators. Ventilators have a 90% kill rate. Yep. Remember how they were saying that COVID <clears throat> caused systemic organ failure, which which was kind of odd for a respiratory disease? Well, yep. I think they were referring to the remdesivir deaths. Well, yep. it was 100% caused by remdesivir. Yeah. That's why and, Dr. Artis called it run death is near. Um, and Gilead, the company that makes remdesivir, made $5.6 billion on the sales of remdesivir last year, all liability free because it was it's under emergency use authorization. So Ken, billion. With, with everything that's been going on in terms of the, um, I mean, with everything going on, there's, there seems to be a systemic program. And it, it for some reason, it, it just brings to mind uh, some of the earlier programs by the eugenic societies in the 1920s and 30s. Are, are you seeing any sort of uh, threads where societies are private institutions uh, that in the past were part of this uh, eugenics movement? Uh, are they somehow interwoven? Uh, with some of these programs that you're seeing now? Interesting. I mean, you know, eugenics was, was, um, uh, you know, you you couldn't call yourself a eugenicist. You know, so maybe underground. I mean, that that attitude. And, you know, I was talking with Vera about this, which is the attitude of eugenics is, okay, there's two groups of people, the, I forget what it is in German, and the Untermenschen, you know, the the, the, the underdogs and the and the rulers. Yeah, and the Untermensch and the Untermensch. There you go. And and once you once you classify human beings that way, and you give the Ubermenschen the uh, the right to do anything they want, basically, um, then you're in eugenics territory. So so yes, I think clearly we've got some eugen. You know, they don't call themselves eugenicists, and they never will. But but they are in essence. That eugenesis and and eugenesis sounds so lovely. Oh, eugenesis! It sounds so nice, you know, like <laughs> euthanasia. Oh, it's so wonderful. Um, no, it's 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 not at all. But yeah, no, I think that attitude that we can we are allowed to kill you if we want because it's for the best of society is is alive and well. Yeah, um, I I want to point out here while we were talking about Gilead, which I always go to Handmaid's Tale, so. <laughs> I, I don't know if any, if you're familiar with the book and then the the series about Handmaid's Tale, a very dystopian society where America is taken over by you know a group of people and things get really bad. They rename the the states that they take over. Gilead is the name of the this dystopian world that they create, mm. and in this dystopian world, people are classified according to wear their roles and the um the the leaders the men wear dark suits the women women wears a a shade of kind of a teal blue teal 
Um, the handmaids wear red. Um, the Marthas, the women who do the, the work in the kitchen, they wear brown. So, um, and the young girls wear uh, pink, the young fertile girls, because in this dystopian world, um, people have lost the ability to reproduce. Is that sounding familiar? So I wanted to show you something that when I first saw it, I thought this has got to be Photoshopped, but it's not. Okay, so here we go. This, this is what I want to show you guys. <clears throat> this is Hollywood. Um, this is Hollywood Unreal. giving us the middle finger. Okay, so here we have the bottom. This is Handmaid's Tale from the TV series. This is them in their costumes. This is an actual photograph of Inauguration Day. Biden. So here we've got his wife. And this is the wife of the leader in Handmaid's Tale. Um, and then we've got the scarlet here. In the scarlet, mm -hmm. we've got the young girl in the pink, the young girls in the pink, and then somebody back here in brown. That co one, two colors, what was it you said? Two could be whatever, you know, three, right. but all of these colors match Handmaid's Tale. And even the fact that they're wearing masks later on in the, at the toward the end of the series, they mask up the handmaids. It's really right. awful. Even um, seal their mouths shut. <clears throat> mm. So that. <laughs> Um, you know, when you look at that, you, 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 there is something crazy going on. And sometimes they're dropping us hints. Sometimes they're giving us warnings. Sometimes they're just giving us the middle finger. I don't know how else to describe that inauguration day choice. Can, can I give you a, a historical um, uh, reference to that? Yeah. Uh, probably everybody's heard of Edward Bernays. Maybe um, he, he's uh, kind of the diabolical mastermind of modern public relations. Uh, he was the man that persuaded women it was cool to smoke when women really didn't smoke because they were too sensible. Uh, and he changed the, the American psyche that now smoking was a cool thing to do. Well, he did such great depth of research before he launched his campaign. One of the things he searched was the colors that were in style for women the year that he wanted to do his his launch of his new idea and he discovered what the cool color was that year and he advised his his tobacco clients to change the color of their to their uh, cigarette carton to the popular color for women's dresses so there are in fact people that think these things out in great detail and are able to execute at a level that that we would find amazing unless we knew that it was just business as usual so. Oh, I, I would love to be a fly on the wall of the marketing departments for the CDC, you know, and, you know, everything that they do, how they come up with these campaigns. And, and I don't understand how anybody at any health department in this nation can put up a post that says vaccination during pregnancy is safe and effective. Do it. I mean, even if they believe studies had been done on pregnant women, I mean, there's no long-term studies. I mean, the no. critical thinking skills are just gone, but there must be some truly evil people that are able to. And I love that. Um, what's that show from that was about selling tobacco? Um, it was the long running series. It'll come to me, the side of my, it was one of my mama's favorite shows. It was so good. Mad Men? Mad, Mad Men, Men, I think it was okay. called. Yeah. Um, yeah, trying to sell cigarettes once they figured out that they were bad for you <clears throat> is how the series opens. Bernadette, I would like to comment about this yes. evil because it is, you know, you're connecting some dots with 
with cigarette ads and things like that, but it's, it's substantially bigger than that. Uh, those are details, of course, but there's, there's some macro evil taking place that uh, in this Holocaust research that we did in June, there's a lady by the name of Hannah Arendt. And after she studied the Adolf Eichmann trial in 1963, she coined the term banality of evil, uh, which mm. means evil is so common that you don't recognize it because she mm. was trying to figure out what you just uh, were leading into. Is there people that are this evil? And so she was trying to discern why did this happen in Germany? And she discovered the banality of evil. So as that banality of evil applies to today, I want to apply it to two classes of citizens. The number and the two classes are the number one and number two classes of citizens who died the most in hospitals when they went in with COVID. And the first one is elderly and the second is disabled. So those are the number one and number two causes of death. Well, those are not comorbidities. Those happen to just be facts. So there's no reason that they'd be the number one and number two causes of death. So in Grace's case, Grace was disabled. As the banality of evil applies to the disabled, Right now in the United States, 67% of Down syndrome children are murdered before they're born. Many countries have eliminated Down syndrome. And so when a couple goes in and the doctor congratulates them on becoming pregnant, he immediately recommends an amniocentesis. They unknowingly get that because that you know they trust the white coat. Uh, the amniocentesis suggests the child has Down syndrome, which may or may not even be true, but they, of course, still trust the white coat. Then the white coat recommends that they murder the child. And so then they have no guilt. So now that mm -hmm. same young person is now on the medical team that has Grace as their patient. And their attitude towards Grace, of course, is one of bias. In the doctor's reports for Grace's seven days in the hospital, they referenced that she had Down syndrome 36 different times. They referenced that we're Christian, unvaccinated, and that we're following the frontline doctor's misinformation campaign. Mm. The same banality of evil. So, I mean, this has been going on for decades. Yeah. Yes. So you're saying it's so common. That's the standard of care, and people accept it. Yeah. And with the elderly, it's the same thing. You know, when I was a kid, you took care of your parents yes. at home or in their home. Now they go into a nursing home as soon as mom forgets to get the mail one day, the kids ship her off to a dimension home, dimension yeah. home. And well, so that's the reality of evil. So now those elderly get yeah. into the hospital and of course it's easy to take them out because exactly. that's their, their attitude. Yeah. Thank you for that. Because I think you did very neatly sum up where we are and what something very important that needs to change. We've only got about two minutes. I wanted viewers to be able to, to see and know about um, your website, Scott. It's ouramazinggrace.net, is it? I can't That's correct. It. Ouramazinggrace.net. Not only is this a tribute to Grace and explain what happened to her, but Scott has wonderfully shared with us some documents that you need to have filled out yourself protective legal documents um, that, so go check it out because he doesn't want to happen to you or your loved ones, what happened to him. So I thank you for those, um, what you provide on that website. And then um, Ken, you have a book and where can people find your book? 
Well, we're, we, we're giving it away and we're also making it available on Amazon. If you go to Nuremberg75.com, so you need to know how to spell Nuremberg, um, yeah. you can figure it out, uh, Nuremberg75.com, and you can either get a PDF for free um, or you can buy it through Amazon. The value of buying it through Amazon is it helps us boost the book up. For a couple of days, we were the number one medical ethics book uh, on Amazon, and we, we like to be in that position because okay. it, it's a message. So it has an introduction by you, but then it is the full code that they're it's, purchasing. It's the full mm -hmm. code, and then it's um, a reading list for people that want to get in-depth into the subject. Oh, that is so wonderful. Thank you so much, both of you gentlemen, for being on the show today, sharing your journeys. I'm so glad you found each other. And we are all together working toward a better future. Um, and sometimes we have to look to the past so that we can improve the future. We, we should have learned it with Nuremberg, but, you know, Nuremberg 2.0, here we come. <laughs> um, and Javier is always so good to have you here. So you've been listening to an Informed Life Radio on 1150 AM KKNW. We're going to take a break. And when we come back, we've got a firefighter, firefighter with courage to talk to. If you're looking for a publication that delivers honest takes and critical insights into the issues of our day, then look no further than the Flame Paper. The Flame Paper is written for the people, by the people, who aren't afraid to challenge a mainstream narrative, be it health care, voter fraud, political correctness, or even the one world government. The Flame is full of timely articles, reports, and expert advice written by freedom-loving, truth-telling experts, journalists, and concerned citizens. To subscribe, go to theflameusa.com. During this unprecedented response to an infection outbreak, it has been made very clear that shutting down lives and businesses is not sustainable or repeatable. We've also learned that it's unnecessary. Treatments exist and always exist. For 99% of the population, nutrients and oxidative therapies that support the immune system and improve symptoms are always available to address viral infections. For the less than 1% who need more, inexpensive, unpatentable drugs can be added to the nutrient therapies to improve outcomes. It's time each and every one of us empower ourselves with this knowledge. We need not ever bring our lives to a halt again. We can both save lives and retain the liberty that nourishes us body and soul. Learn more at healthyimmunitynow.org. That's healthyimmunitynow.org. Informed Choice Washington is a nonprofit organization that advocates for healthy immunity, medical freedom, and fully informed medical consent. The right to make medical choices without coercion is fundamental to our civil liberties and a basic principle in all human rights declarations. To learn more, tune in each Friday from 3 to 5 p.m. to an Informed Life Radio and visit the website informedchoicewa.org. It's time to take a stand for medical freedom. Go to informedchoicewa.org today. We need a revolution. There's only one solution. I need somebody to show me, somebody to show me the love. We need a revolution. Hello and welcome back to an informed life radio on 1150 AM KKNW. I'm your host, Bernadette Pager. Uh, 
shouting out to you in the greater Puget Sound region and CHD TV. So glad to be here. Um, that last hour was so awesome. We had the author, um, Ken McCarthy, who wrote um, a book about the 75th or an introduction to the 75th anniversary of Nuremberg. Um, look for his book, Ken McCarthy, and then Scott Shera, Father to Grace. Um, always good to see Scott and this amazing journey he's on in honor of his daughter to, to stop this ever happening to anybody again. I realized during the break that, my goodness, I forgot to read the the Nuremberg Code itself, and um, I will I will get it pulled up here in in a little bit, um, maybe in this next hour to pull it up. I guess I guess I sort of I don't know how I let that slip by, but I apologize to listeners that we did not um, actually talk about the main points of the Nuremberg Code. The most important point is that the consent of the individual in any scientific experiment is absolutely essential. Um, and that is what's not happening today. So this hour, we have a wonderful gentleman. His name is, let me get it here, Justin Jobes. He's out in Washington State. He is a former Bellevue firefighter. Well, hello, Justin. Welcome to an Informed Life Radio. Hello, Bernadette. Thanks for having me. Yeah, uh, such a pleasure to have you here. Um so, you know, we're, we're trying to find courage and um, give people hope and a way forward because we're, we're living in very difficult times and we're faced with things that really could be very devastating and make us all want to just crawl in a corner and stay there. But in the first hour, we had a, a dear gentleman whose daughter was, there's no other way to look at it, murdered in the hospital with COVID protocols. Um, and he has turned that most devastating, awful experience into a mission to, um, to change what's happening and to, you know, um, and running with it. Um, I'm so pleased to have you on in this second hour, because while nothing like that in particular happened to you, you do represent the courage each of us as individuals uh, need to find within ourselves if we are to um, overcome and resist this this great world economic forum type change that's coming at us, right? Um, and yep. we have to learn as as American citizens how not to be complacent, how to do good research, how to stand in our truth, how to push back um, in all ways. So what I would love for you to do is if you could kind of explain to us, like start maybe in a end of 2019, early 2020, what you were doing uh, in life <laughs> and okay. your journey forward. Yeah. Yeah. So I was a, a firefighter in the city of Bellevue, Washington for 19 years. I started in 2003. Um, in like, uh, well, when the virus started coming around in 2020, the very first um, patient in the United States was in our neighboring department, Kirkland, Washington. Mm -hmm. So it kind of hit very close to home very quickly. Um, you know, I was with everybody else. We had no idea what was going on was or anything. Um, so we were a little nervous and a little cautious, but, um, you know, firefighters, we go to work. We do hard things. That's what we're paid for. That's what we do. 
and so I kept going to work and doing what we were supposed to do, you know, wearing our PPE and trying to stay as safe as possible. Um, initially, the first few months, I think my biggest concern was um, our guys, if they got exposed on a call um, at that time, you know, what an exposure was, they could get quarantined from their families and everybody for two weeks. And I couldn't afford to do that. My wife, um, we homeschool five kids, and my wife um, has had rheumatoid arthritis for several years, and me being away from them for two weeks just was not an option. So, um, you know, I wouldn't have had a choice if the fire department made me, but I was nervous um, going to work every day, wondering if I would um, get exposed and have to be away from them for a couple weeks. Uh, it was about, go ahead. Oh, I can't, I can't hear you right now. Hang. It seems like we're experiencing some technical difficulties right now. So we're just going to play a little quick break here on Informed Life Radio, and we'll come back and see if we can get these all resolved. Stay with us. Hi, I'm Lynn Redwood, president of the nonprofit Children's Health Defense. Our chairman, Robert F. Kennedy Jr., and our entire team are devoted to ending the epidemic of illnesses and disorders plaguing our children today. Through legal action, we're working to hold industries and government agencies accountable and to establish safeguards to prevent further harm. We're working overtime during this COVID-19 crisis to keep you informed about the politics and science of rush vaccine candidates. Freedom and our children's futures have never been more in jeopardy. But we can succeed. With your help, we can stop the devastation and give our children and grandchildren the healthy future they deserve. To learn more about what we're doing and how you can help, visit childrenshealthdefense.org and sign up for our free news. Please visit childrenshealthdefense.org today. Are you suffering from a sinking feeling that the COVID-19 pandemic is being blown out of proportion and that nothing in the news is making any sense? If so, then there is a fact-based, science-driven news show designed just for you. My name is Del Bigtree, and I am the host of The High Wire, the world's most trusted news source in digital media when it comes to accurate, science-based reporting on the COVID-19 pandemic. From COVID-19 vaccine development to mask mandates, school shutdowns to job layoffs, The High Wire goes beyond providing you with the most accurate, evidence-based investigations. We send you links to the sources for all of our reporting so that you can further your own investigation and come to your own informed conclusions. High above the agenda-driven circus of mainstream media, we do not run. We do not hide from the truth. Instead, we walk the high wire. If you care about truth, then join us on Instagram, Twitter, Roku, and our website, thehighwire.com. Here we are, and now we're back. Sorry about the technical difficulties there. I'm not quite sure. I think both of us have different things going on. I do have a thunderstorm brewing overhead here, so... But I seem to be back, and let's see if we can hear you okay there, Justin. Can you hear me, Bernadette? I can hear, and I'm going to ask our engineer if, if things are working all, all right. right on his end. 
Um, yes, awesome. Thank you so much. Okay, so we're when when I interrupted you there, you were telling us. I mean, you didn't want the hardship. Yeah. You didn't want to be away from your family, quarantined for two weeks if right. you got sick. Yeah. Yeah. Or were exposed. Or, or didn't even or have to be sick, right? Uh, uh, <laughs> didn't have to be sick, no. So that was a big concern at that early on when we didn't know what was going on. Um, a few months into it, you know, my wife and I are very naturally health-minded and watch a lot of stuff. And we saw a couple of doctors out of California who said, this is getting, we have some numbers, this is getting blown way out of proportion. It's not even as bad as influenza we're overreacting to this. And that's about when my wife and I were like, okay, this something's not right here. Um, so, you know, we, we continue to look into it and stuff, but we didn't, we weren't following the normal, you know, we just didn't believe that it was as bad as everyone was saying it was. Mm-hmm. Um, okay. Yeah, we're gonna, um... Yeah, we're going to have Justin uh, work on his uh, earbuds again some more. So I'll go ahead and just keep uh, talking a little bit here and say that, you know, in the state of Tennessee, you know, things have been wide open for, you know, I don't know, a year or two years or so. Washington State, it's still under a state of emergency. The governor has not yet lifted the state of emergency. It's day like 900 and something. It's just absurd. And in fact, the Washington State Department of Health just issued, I think on August 22nd, guidelines to colleges and universities and sort of reminding them that they still have to follow um, Governor Inslee's proclamations about vaccination and whatnot. It's it's so ridiculous what's going on in um, in Washington State continued. So you're and depending on what you're listening to, Justin, isn't it very bizarre if you're if you tune into say the public radio, KKNW, mainstream media, and of course anything coming out of uh, Olympia or the Department of Health, you know, you hear one thing, then you hear what they're calling alternative, and I think should be mainstream. Yes, I agree. <laughs> you know, now before COVID, you said you guys were naturally um, minded. Um, did you know about Children's Health Defense, the high wire? Did, were you following any of that information? No, not before COVID. I didn't know anything about that, but um, our kids have very few vaccines. Um, you know, we, we were more concerned about them having side effects from the vaccines than we were concerned about them catching these childhood illnesses that we're supposed to be so scared of. Yeah. Um, so we, you know, we limited what they were exposed to and what they received. And mm-hmm. so that's, that's us from the beginning. So it wasn't, so when this, when COVID hit and, you know, they were telling us to be nervous about it and stuff. And we realized that, oh, it's probably not as bad as they think. Then when they announced that there was going to be a vaccine coming out, you know, I knew early on, nope, that's not, I'm not going to take that. That's not for me or my family. So mm-hmm. my decision was made long before um, I would face any uh, repercussions for that decision. Yeah, that that's good. So you knew you were already prepared to do what needed to be done to say no. Yeah, I had no idea what was going to happen because of that decision. But mm-hmm. yeah, it wasn't just at the end that I just made the decision. It was a long yeah. time ago. Now, as a firefighter, you you wore the PPE. Yep. In your personal life, did you did you mask up, or you know, after I saw those doctors, uh, 
let's see, shortly after that, we had COVID, uh, November, 2020. Mm-hmm. So, you know, after we had natural immunities, we even went and got our blood checked. We had natural immunities. We're like, we're done. We're not wearing these masks anymore. <laughs> um, and it kind of, we got a letter, we got a notice from somebody at our church that we weren't uh, obeying what we were supposed to do and that we needed to be wearing our masks and we disagreed. And so um, unfortunately we ended up not being able to go to that same church over that issue, but I just felt strongly the whole time that, um, that I, it wasn't necessary that I wasn't going to wear it. And um, I didn't understand why I felt so strongly, but I now hindsight I believe it was the Lord preparing me for the hard times that I would face and the hard decision that I would have to stand behind. Yeah. Well, the mask was really and a symbol. And in fact, at one point Fauci said it is a symbol. (laughs) It doesn't work. Um, And, but those of us who'd kind of been in, who are aware of a lot of the fraud and corruption and everything going on with these three letter agencies and, and was seeing the powers that be moving in the direction that they were moving. We could see that masks were going to be the placeholder. Mm -hmm. So the intent was to Mm -hmm. set everybody up to obey everybody to comply. So they, everybody was already prepared before the, the shots came out. Yeah, You couldn't get on a plane without it or a train or you couldn't keep your job. So, you know, they put it out with something where people go, it's just a mask. I just put it on. I want to shop. You know, they just like, oh, it's inconvenient. It's stupid. I mean, so I'm really hoping that Americans have learned that when government tells you to do something that you consider to just stupid, don't do it. Don't do it. I mean, can you imagine if everybody who understood that masks do not prevent the spread of infection, especially the way they're worn, but, you know, they just can't (laughs) do the job. If everybody had just said, no, you guys are crazy. We're not doing it and just go about their way. They couldn't have done any of this to us. You're right. Right. It was it was, you know, as American citizens, it is our duty to pay attention to what our government is doing, our elected officials and these people that are hired. And if they, if they're telling us to do something stupid or harmful, which masks turned out to be, especially for children, um, it's our duty to protect this nation. (laughs) And, but, and I, so I'm hoping more and more uh, Americans have learned that lesson. You instinctively felt it. You felt, I just, I'm not going to do something stupid. It kind of violates your sense of ethics and justice. Yeah. Right. Yeah. It was, I couldn't even fully explain it, but I came out of church one day and told my wife, I don't understand why I feel so strongly about this, but it just bothers me so much. I can't do it. You know, I I don't like it. I can't do this. So yeah, good for you. And so, so time's going on and then eventually was it the order from Inslee that came yeah. down? Yeah. So it was last August, a year ago now. It was probably about, you know, a week ago last year that I finally realized that the that I was one of the people that was in the order as a, <clears throat> excuse me, as a state licensed emergency medical technician. Um, I would be required to get the vaccination to continue working my job past October 18th. 
um, 2021. So, so then we, we start, okay. So we started, you know, trying to organize, trying to get people, um, involved, you know, talking to other firefighters, but, um, how did that go to rallies? So were there very many, and we've had some firefighters on the show. Do you, what was maybe the percentage of people who did not want to get the shot? Well, when we first set up a, a group chat, there were about 30 firefighters in Bellevue who were, um, who showed interest in not receiving it. <clears throat> and so that was probably the very beginning of September and the numbers dwindled down to where maybe eight of us out of 250 uh, members of the fire department did not receive it. And several of them um, don't work in patient care. And so they were um, accommodated to continue working in, in positions in the fire department. So it only directly affected um, maybe five of us. So five of us aren't actually working in the fire department anymore. That's really alarming to me that so few said no. I, I agree. Complied. Yeah. And did not fight, but you know, amen to you. Good for you and the others well, who said no. And thank, thank the Lord that He gave me that that ability to to stay strong in that. Yeah, there were about nine after the death settled. We um, there were about ninety three of us in King County that didn't receive it and lost our jobs. And um, it turned out almost all of them were Christians who were believers. Mm-hmm. And that's that's within the firefighters. Yeah, then- in King County. So King County, all the um, all the chiefs got together and decided that nobody would work in patient care without the vaccination. And so all of us who were firefighters who were providing patient care daily who wouldn't receive it uh, were not allowed to continue working. Has there been any outreach to the firefighters that got? fired now that the science clearly shows the vaccines do not prevent infection or transmission (laughs) hospitalization or death to say we're sorry come back i haven't received any calls (laughs) (laughs) in fact i don't think that i think it's still a requirement for new hires that they must be vaccinated So there are very few jobs in Washington state for um, guys like me who have been in the fire service, who have many years of experience to get back into the fire service. Wow. I I do believe that will eventually change as all of this comes to the surface. Yeah. I think Um, they can't keep going Yeah. No, we can't. And as, as this cannot be, the new normal, the precedent we cannot have when they bring some other disease forward and to try to scare us to death instead of giving us the facts and calmly telling us, you know, all that can be done, including the nutrient approach right. and the ivermectins and hydroxychloroquines and all oh, that. Yeah. And by the way, um, the mechanisms of action of ivermectin are, are pretty broad and will work on, um, studies show have the potential to work on a lot of RNA viruses. So just keep that in mind with future scare stock up. Um, Uh And I'm not giving medical advice. Bernadette (laughs) is not a doctor. She just plays one on the radio. (laughs) (laughs) I'm not a doctor, not an attorney. I'm just an opinionated mama bear. There you go. Um, 
who wants the truth to be heard. That's yeah. that's what I am here. Um, and, you know, in the last hour, we had the author of a book about the 75th anniversary of the Nuremberg Code. And I forgot to read the Nuremberg Code. So <laughs> a slight oversight on my part. I'll just read the very first sentence is uh, important of the points is the voluntary consent of the human subject is absolutely essential. Voluntary, mm -hmm. voluntary, full informed information is absolutely essential. And um, Justin, one of the things that infuriates me the most, and it did pre-COVID, was there's no checks and balances anywhere. Yeah. Our public health system is set up um, like it's like a military, like a monarchy where you get people at the top, like the Fauci idiots and everything. Um, I'm sorry, I try not to actually call people names on the air. So I apologize for that. Um, it's hard not to. Sometimes. <laughs> um, I try not to do ad hominem attacks. I just attack the policy, not the person. Um, but when somebody's so mean, but okay, now I'm, I'm like, diverting myself and forgetting uh, my point. Oh, no checks and balances. So all along the chain, what we need, we need each state health department to take whatever the federal government says and says, well, hey, scientists, I mean, why, why do state governments hire PhDs in their various public health departments if they're just going to be yes men and not question a single thing that comes down? and just push it out. Why do the county health departments bother to hire people with MDs, PhDs, or any degree at all? Why not just hire high school graduates who are just going to say, okay, here it is. And if you question them, oh, because the CDC says so, right? Because that's all they do. We could save a lot of money if all mm -hmm. we're going to do is whatever they say. But we, And I, I say that jokingly, but really we need to instill a sense of checks and balances. And it could even go down to like the head of your, of your particular um, fire station. If, if you guys all got together and talked with the chief and you said, no, look at the science, look at what's going on, look at the infection rate, this particular uh, rule, mandate, whatever about the vaccine or the mask doesn't make sense. It doesn't protect us and it doesn't protect the people we're we're going on calls to help. And, and based on that, you should be able to make your own decisions. But yeah. that does not exist. It doesn't exist in any part. And that's how this evil can proliferate. Because you're basically court-martialed if you dare question. Yeah. So this whole new system has to be um, put in place. So then it finally came down. Did you put in a religious exemption? Yes. Anyone yeah. you tried? Yeah, we tried. We did everything that we legally were required to do. Filed our religious exemption. Of course, it was accepted. Um, but we were told that we were too much of a risk for the city to allow us to keep working in patient care. Um, they they had did natural not. immunity. Yeah. yeah, the governor in his order did say that people could be accommodated um, unless they could prove an undue hardship. So somehow, um, yeah. you know, I don't. I never heard what the undue hardship was. I was told that I was a risk, but I never heard the words undue yeah. hardship. Well, you know, a lot of laws were broken. A lot of people violated um 
your medical freedom and religious freedom. My sister filed an exemption with her employer. Mm -hmm. She worked 100% from home remotely, and they accepted her religious exemption but said they couldn't accommodate her. Yeah. Um, but then the next step was instead of, you know, they, she asked for it in writing. And when it came in writing, it just said, you no longer fit this job description. Oh, they did. They knew they were violating, Interesting. you know, that they couldn't really make the excuse. They couldn't accommodate her. So yeah. their official in writing was just, I mean, and she hadn't changed. She was their top employer for 30 years. Wow. Yeah. Anyway, somebody yeah. else's, somebody else's loss. Yep. was her new employer's gain. <laughs> and and that's kind of what I want to focus on here. Not so much. Everybody is probably sick to death of, of all the horrific things that have happened. But I want you to talk about how you felt, if I'm putting words in your mouth, set free when you stood in your truth and started a new life with your family. So talk about yes. that. I definitely feel set free. Um, you know, we, we went through the process. We, I was told not to come back to, not to come back to work after October 18th. Um, and it's been almost, let's see, we've, it's been almost a year now. Um, just in the last four or five weeks, um, we found, finally figured out what our new, our new plan is for this year. And we are small business owners. Um, there's a family, I live in Linden, Washington, up in the very Northwest corner up by the Canadian border. And we have a wonderful little, um, Dutch themed downtown area. And there's a family that has, that has a used bookstore and coffee shop called Cat's Coffee, K-A-T-Z. And they are intent, they were intending to go into retirement and they posted on Facebook that they wanted to sell their business, but it, they wanted to sell it to someone who would continue on because the, the business in that location has been there for 75 years in their family. Oh, that's fantastic. That's a long time in Washington to have a business. Yeah. And it hasn't always been a bookstore coffee shop, but um, Mm -hmm. anyways, it went on Facebook and immediately some of my wife's friends started tagging her and telling her that's what we needed to buy. (laughs) And my wife said, Oh no, no, we can't do that right now. We're not making, you know, we don't have any money to buy a business. And enough people tagged her and, and messaged her that she's like, okay, well, I'll contact them. And so she sent out a quick inquiry and the owner said, well, it might take a little while for me to get to you. I've already had 17 responses. And so my wife, uh, being persistent, that the person, persistent person that she is, sent them a brief story about us and just told them what we've gone through this year, you know, that we lost our job in the fire service. And they replied immediately and said, can you guys meet us tomorrow? <laughs> so <laughs> we went to the coffee shop and had coffee with them and interviewed for about an hour and sent them a message afterwards and said, this would be a great fit for our family, but we want you to choose the best family that you think um, that you want to carry on the business. And they called us back about a day later and told us they, they thought out of 30, 30 inquiries, they thought we were the family that should take on the oh. business for them. So we're so excited right now. We we feel very blessed that um, mm-hmm. we get to run the bookstore coffee shop. And um, that's what we're going to be doing probably for several years from now. I, I love that. I love uh, thinking of you there 
And, and I know you're about to, um, to change the name. You don't yet have a website or anything. So I would, I want to be able to maybe later on, you let me know when you get yeah. online so I can share that, but you're going to change the name and it's kind of interesting. What's the new name going to be? So let me pull up. Okay. So the name is U catastrophe. It's EU catastrophe. And it's a word that J.R.R. Tolkien made up. And oh. the definition is a sudden and favorable resolution of events in a story, a happy ending. So huh. our story was, you know, going pretty bad for a while. Yeah. And then all of a sudden we found our happy ending. And the fun thing about that name is that it has been in my wife's head as a business name for about six months. So mm. a lot longer than we've known about the coffee shop. Mm-hmm. And she thought that it was going to be a health and wellness business, mm. but um, turns out that it's a bookstore coffee shop. And we just thought that that name should it perfectly fit, you know, what, mm-hmm. has, what our story is, what we've gone through, um, you know, and I'll just share that the greatest um, Tolkien said the greatest catastrophe is Christ. When he came out of the grave, everything looked bleak for three days mm-hmm. and then he rose. And so, we get to share that with people and we get to share our personal story with people. I love that. And I, I think of all the books I want you to be carrying, right? And I know it's a used bookstore. Are you going to yeah. be able to have access to some new titles? Are you going to sign on with Ingram or one of those distributors? That Probably not. Yeah. Uh, initially, we, there are some local titles that we can carry brand new, mm-hmm. um, but we do roast all of our own coffee. And so we do intend to Ooh. expand the coffee roasting side. Very nice. Yes. Yeah. Very nice. Yeah. And I, so that literary name on a on a bookstore cl- coffee shop is pretty yeah. awesome. It just it just sounds like a little piece of heaven right there yeah. that you're going to be um, setting up. Yeah, yeah, we're very excited. We've been working under the owners for the last month, and then on September first, we officially take over ownership mm-hmm. of the business. That's great. You know, one of the things that they tried to steal from us and they did for a while from, for a lot of people's is community mm-hmm. is getting together in person, that sense of community. And, you know, my husband and I never let it interrupt what we were doing. Obviously there were places we couldn't go um, if they had shut them down or they wouldn't let me in without a mask. And I just yeah. never um, gave them any of my business when we were out in Washington state. Um, but then when we decided, you know, let's, let's pick up and move to Tennessee. It's a beautiful state. Freedom's here compared to Washington. It's amazing. A lot of work to do here yet. Um, they're not leaving the state alone, but we immediately after we got here, um, I had found a flyer for, a, a County Patriot group mm-hmm. that was just at the laundromat, you know, before we were even in the house. And I reached out to this, this group of people and they'd only formed just a couple of months before. And they were just very much like the people out in Washington state who are getting together, looking what's going on, figuring out how can we preserve freedom? What can we do to help um, turn things around and protect what freedoms we still have here? And so we started meeting with this group and they introduced us to this newcomers group that people who had been there for a while were welcoming newcomers and showing them the ropes and helping them and saying, if you need anything, it was amazing. And that led to another group, which had a lot of overlap um, of uh, community self-reliance stuff. And I think there's two or three other groups that we ended up all with the kind of the same people, a lot of overlap. 
I'm saying all this because I have, in all my 59 years, I have never lived in a community that I was so involved in until we moved mm. here. Mm. The, the need, I used to take it for granted, you know, the people around you, you know, that I didn't really participate. And the suburb life doesn't always lend itself to everybody being engaged together. But there's something about knowing that there's this big, ugly tyranny that's reaching into you, that when you find the people you're meant to be with, you like pull together. And yeah. it's family, isn't it? Doesn't it yeah. just instantly feel like family? Yeah. And, um, and it's wonderful. We went from the first week we were here, we found out when the county commission meetings were, and, and we do our best to go to every single county commission meeting. And and if I'm walking down the street and the sheriff sees me, he knows me, he knows my name. And the, and the new mayor elected, he knows, he knows us too. And um, I love small town. Yeah. Uh, you got somebody knocking on your door? <laughs> yeah, I have kids. I have five kids. Oh, <laughs> they wow. know what I'm doing, but. <laughs> okay. Yeah, not yet. I'm, I'm not yeah. ready to let them yeah. go yet. You got about 20 more minutes. Yeah. <laughs> but that sense of community is so important. And that's one of the silver linings, I think, of COVID is people are participating in their community. Um, do you want to check the door and check out the kid? I can babble for a while while you do that if you need to. <laughs> We're good. Okay. Um, they've they've realized the importance of community and they have reached out to probably neighbors that they've, they have been there all their lives and they've never actually spoken. Sometimes it's, it ends right there because they're not aligned with them. But other times it turns out that there's people right near you who are like, wow. And you're so glad to find each other. Um, and I, I do hope that that continues beyond yeah. um, this. So you had the courage to stand up to your beliefs and you're in a wonderful marriage. Apparently that your, your wife said, let's do it, honey. You, you know, didn't pressure yeah. you to let go of, uh, you know, secure income and all that. Yeah, boy, you know, I couldn't have done, I couldn't have done what I did if I didn't have her support. Cause how do you, how do you leave a job of 19 years that pays so well and has such good benefits, you know, Except we were both were we both were had strong convictions. Um, there mm -hmm. was one day where she said to me, "Are you sure you want to do this?" And I just looked at her and I said, "You can't work. Your you know your body won't do it. If I get sick or if I if I have a side effect from this and I can't work, then we're in big trouble. But if I leave the fire department healthy, then we have lots of options in front of us." Yeah. And so you know, there most of the time we were together and that was just one time where we just had to look at each other and say okay yeah. let's keep moving forward and we did and yeah um, that's been a huge blessing that we're both um, on the same page through this whole thing that's wonderful and you know you really have to be strong in your convictions when you're faced mm -hmm. with things like this because yeah. that's that financial security um it's really important to us as humans as parents as yeah. you know caregivers we want to that security is very important and a lot of people were coerced and that was the biggest threat against them was that yeah. and when you're armed with enough information and i think it's different for everybody scientific information um 
with you, it's it's also your faith was highly involved in your decision. Yeah. I feel like people who who you're more easily swayed when you don't really have the depth of knowledge of your stance. Yeah. And there has been this big move to keep Americans uneducated, unknowing. And we know that's been the prop that's, you know, the propaganda against the vaccines and how any health department can still have safe and effective out, out there. Yes. I mean, give oh. me a break. Terrible. It's like, I mean, they've so shot themselves in the foot, right? It's like, nobody's going to trust anything you say ever <laughs> again. I hope, I hope they don't. <laughs> I don't trust anything they say. No, no. I mean, it's it's just ridiculous. So, um, has okay. So your 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 job has completely changed. Yeah. And your outlook there has changed. And then, yeah. um, are you making any other life decisions based on what's going on in the world? Like, are you starting to grow a garden? <laughs> <laughs> we're, we've had a garden many many years, but we're in a. We're in an unusual position. We sold our house a couple of years ago and, you know, the, the market just really changed. So mm. we're not in the position to buy a house right now, maybe in the next couple of years. We'll see. Okay. But we are, we know we were able to buy the business outright. And that's good. Um, yeah. And fortunately we're in a, a beautiful newer townhouse that somebody takes care of the yard, somebody maintains the property. So we can just focus our attention on homeschooling our kids and uh, growing our businesses. So, yeah. you know, we're, we're not homeowners right now, but we're not too worried about that because we feel like we're right where we're supposed to be in order to, to work on the life that we're, grow- we're growing into right now. That's good. And, and maybe you will um, become part of a community where other people are growing, yeah. um, you know, cause we just keep hearing and it's, it's not conspiracy to know that the, the, Food might, in some at least, some types of food might be hard to to come by. Yeah, <laughs> we are pretty fortunate. My grandparents dairy farmed in in uh, about three hours from us, and they still have about fifty head of beef cattle down there. So our freezer is always full of beef. And wow, that well, is good. Um, That's so good. yeah, we're we're pretty well taken care of. That's we just good. aren't yeah. able to grow our own right now. Yeah. Well, you know, one of the things that I want to start doing again, I, I did it years ago and I still have like some of the jars is I want to start sprouting again. Oh, yeah. Because, you know, it, at times, like even in the winter when you can't really, you know, be growing your fresh greens, you can always sprout and yeah. your broccoli sprouts just condense nutrition. Yeah. Um, and there's so many different things that you can sprout and you can grow microgreens in the yeah. house. Yeah. So I'm kind of exploring the different, we're learning how to garden here a bit. We're not going to get any animals, at least not at this stage, but we do know a lot of people with chickens and, and such that we can, yeah. um, you know, do some trading and I don't have a lot of skills. I'm not a farm girl, but I'm like, okay, do you need something edited? Can I get a dozen eggs? If I edit <laughs> there you go. Or, you know, Use figure the skills out how to that you have and do some yeah. trading and gardening. <laughs> That's the best thing about community. Yeah. Yeah. So um, have you been homeschooling all this time? Yeah. We decided to homeschool before we had kids. Um, so we've homeschooled everybody all the way through. Our 17-year-old um, put himself in high school last year because mm-hmm. he just wanted to, and it didn't work out very well since he was homeschooled the whole way. Oh, dear. Yeah. So, But now he is um, 
working full time drywall and you know doing well for himself right now. Oh, good. Oh, that's so, fantastic. Yep. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, there can be kind of bumps with those transition periods. Yeah, definitely. Know, it, can, it can go either way. It can be a bumpy road if you were in a public school going to homeschool also. Yeah. Um, somebody started calling them, and I love the term, um, instead of calling them public schools, call them government schools. Yeah. And then you, it, it really lets you understand how controlled they are when you change the name to. It, yeah, it, it, that's true. Yeah. They are definitely government schools run yeah. by the government. Yeah. Yeah. Run by the government with the government rules with, and the government, the government agenda strings attached and, yeah. and that sort of thing. And so what are the other ages of your children? Uh, so we have a 17, 15, 13, um, 10 and nine. Oh goodness. You guys are busy. Yeah. So we have five <laughs> kids for our oldest has moved out already for at home. Yeah. Um, we homeschool. My wife teaches in our homeschool program. We do classical conversations. So once a week, everybody goes to a community and, and uh, goes to class mm-hmm. and does all their stuff. And then the rest of the time we work at home. Um, the great thing about the coffee shop bookstore is that the kids will be able to be there with us. Mm-hmm. Um, my wife's going to continue homeschooling while we're there during the daytimes that we are there. And so just it's a great fit for our, our whole family. And they'll also be able to start working when they get old enough. That's fantastic. And um, so for the, the last bit of time we have here, what, you know, after your experience, you've now got yourself, you know, set up in this new way forward, this new life for your family. Um, Are, are you wanting to get involved at all in like local government um, from for any aspect, either running for office or just simply <laughs> showing up at meetings to keep them on their toes, or well, do you, go ahead. I don't see myself running for office. I'm not that. I'm not really the upfront guy. Like when I was in the fire department, I was the driver, so I was the you know second to the officer. It's just not my thing to be upfront. But we have um, attended a lot of city council meetings. Um, with us being downtown Linden business owners, I think that we'll see a lot of, um, we'll be a lot more involved, a lot more informed about what's going on in our town. Um, and then when we need to, we can respond. Um, we've already attended a city council meeting here in Linden because there was something going on um, regarding the vaccine mandate. And we went and told them that they were being unlawful and they were wrong and they needed to really look into it. And they actually responded. It's a small town. And they talked to us. They responded to us. They said, we will investigate this and we will research this and talk about it. The first, that was the very first meeting out of several different cities that we've gone to where they've actually talked to us during during a meeting. It was wow. amazing. So, that Yeah, the small towns are so much better that way. Isn't that yeah. wonderful? We feel and, like mm-hmm. if we need to, if we wanted to affect change, that it could be done in a small town, but not in the big cities. Yeah. So I I love that you bring that up. And, you know, probably if you had decided to just leave on your own and, and, you know, do this bookstore thing without the experience of COVID, you might not have understood how important it is to pay attention to what they're doing. So it has made you a better citizen and me a way better citizen. You know, Definitely has. Yeah. So it's going to help us to run the bookstore, run the business too. You know, we, mm-hmm. well, 
the owners who are there who are there faced they refused to enforce the mask mandate and they faced um, several thousand dollars in fines and so you know they had a similar story to us so that's what kind of i think that's what kind of brought us together mm-hmm. but you know there's so much community support when people come in who were supporting the previous owners and they see us and they hear what we're going through they're so excited to continue supporting and to know also that that's going to continue to be a safe place no matter what the government tries to throw at us. Oh, that's great. You know. We'll be better prepared with this fall yeah. when you know they've yeah. got, they're trying to push this whole monkeypox thing. Yes. I saw in the Seattle Times, it was it yesterday or so that, you know, they're saying that uh, a mom and two little children have, um, were diagnosed with monkeypox. And I'm like, it's a non-fatal infection you know, that's very inconvenient and uncomfortable. Right. Why are you doing that? I mean, why are they making the whole journey of it? And I, you know, this is not a show about monkeypox today. <laughs> um, if anybody kind of wants to learn though, if they haven't heard me say this before at informedchoicewa.org, um, our nonprofit organization, I did create a monkeypox tab that can give a lot of information to help people, um, really kind of see. And if you've got the facts and you know where to go to look um, information about the vaccine and this awful um, antiviral that they're trying to push, um, which is basically entering a clinical trial um, and, and gave you some different people whose blog posts to follow. When you, then you, you'll be, you can kind of see the propaganda coming at you because you're armed with more facts. And so I think that we can learn in advance to be able to be better, for lack of a better word, misinformation spotters (laughs) coming from the government. Um, Mm -hmm. Yeah. But small local government is where it's going to have to happen. You know, it's going to be from the ground up, not from the top down. Right. You know, each of us in our own little communities need to find each other um, pay attention, get involved. We, you know, isn't it an age old expression? You get the government you ask for or the government you pay attention to. (laughs) And it was just too easy to let other people do it. You do your job, you're tired, you come home, you know, you don't want to get involved, but we've learned that complacency, um, we've learned where, where it leads. Where it leads. Yeah. We were all kind of asleep. You know, not really mm-hmm. knowing what was going on. Mm-hmm. I had no idea who Governor Inslee was until he came on the news that one time and said, we're just going to take two weeks and flatten the curve. <laughs> <laughs> Little did I know how much of a liar he was. <laughs> oh, my goodness. He's been such a joke. Do you remember that speech that he gave? It was like in eastern Washington. And he took off his mask. And this was in the beginning where people were trying to push back. And he he looked at the camera and said, I'm taking off my mask and it's like first amendment, like, or, like, you know, he's like, did he just say that? Like I'm exercising uh, my freedom of speech, my first amendment rights and something. I don't know. It was just really weird. Yeah. Um, yeah. yeah. But we were, you know, Washington state, it was ground zero. Yeah. Like you said, for COVID, you were next yeah. door to the very place where the first case was diagnosed. Yeah. Um, it really was the, I I imagine they tossed the dice or draw straws to see who would get the first case. See, this is me being conspiratorial. 
you know, this is just theoretical here. But I'm the more I learn, the more I do believe based on information that we have so far that this was intentional. Yeah. Wuhan lab intentionally put, and you could only do what they did in some place that's very controlled by the powers that be. And of course, I think that Bill Gates won one, he must've gotten the long straw. He's like, it's my home state. I've got a governor. I've got a health department. You know, I want the first case. Yeah. Yeah, I was. Having- yeah, who knows how it went down? But I, I'm with you there. I believe all those guys are corrupt and evil, and yeah, it wasn't an accident. Yeah. And you know, there was there's this wonderful um, woman a professor at University of Washington who runs was running a flu study at the time that COVID hit, okay. and she had all over the Greater Puget Sound areas kind of this whole study set up where she was collecting, she was swabbing surfaces, she was collecting information regularly from people who had enrolled because she was trying to find out how um, really get some great information on who caught the flu, how they caught it, uh-huh. how they treated it, you know, all of that stuff. It was just going to be a wonderful, comprehensive study to learn a lot about the flu. And um, so she contacted the CDC and said, I've, I've got this study going on. I can just add a test for COVID uh-huh. right now. I'm at ground zero and we could try to collect data and, and begin trying to figure this out and keep it from spreading. The CDC told her no. They said, you don't have enough experience to do this. If I recall correctly, you couldn't have asked for anybody more experienced to do it than she was. Um, So yeah, an awful lot going on there. Well, we've got like three more minutes here. So we're going to be wrapping things up. So do you, do you have any final words of, of advice for, for people who, might be feeling like how hard it is to make a big change in life. Well, I mean, a lot of people told us we can't do what you did. We don't have a plan. We don't have, you know, we don't, we have nothing else to do. And we looked at each other and said, yeah, we don't have a plan either, except we're not taking the vaccine. And so um, there are many, many things to do. And if you feel strongly about not taking these things, then go with your convictions. Don't go against your conscience and trust that there are other things to do in life. And, and, you know, it might, you might, you'll probably go through some hard things. I know a lot of people who are in the same position and it has not been easy for many of us, but we have walked through the fire. All of us are different on the other side of it. And some of the guys, some of the people are still going through and trying to figure out what they're going to do or what the plan is, but um, we've all stuck to our convictions. And uh, that's, you know, I think that's the biggest thing is don't go against your convictions, do what you think is right. And you will be, you'll be okay on the other side, but it's not going to be easy. Not going to be easy, but you get a sense of, I kind of, it's hard to describe, like when we decided to move, everything just felt right. When you do, I mean, change is difficult. 
It always yeah. is, you know, for humans. And, and especially when it means leaving something that you really know. And yet, like we said at the beginning of this program, it's also liberating. Yeah. Your yeah, life yeah. is going to go directions and you're going to meet people and see things and do things you didn't expect. There may mm-hmm. be some hard times ahead, but when you kind of let go, there's an expression a lot of people say is let go and let God. <laughs> so whatever your faith is whatever your perception of whatever higher power there is. And you just kind of let go and let God and just do what feels correct to you of how somebody should be in the world. It all pulls together. There are times when, I mean, it's almost spooky. I don't know if you've had the same experiences, but just where everything fell into place, we couldn't have planned it. We just trusted and it happened. So um, with that, um, it's time to go. Justin Jobs, thank you. Bless you. Bless your family. Good luck. Thank you, Bernadette. Thank you for the opportunity to share our story. Uh, You betcha. So you've been listening to an Informed Life Radio, 1150 AM KKNW and CHD TV. Everybody have a great weekend. Let go and let God. And uh, we'll see you next week. If you're looking for a publication that delivers honest takes and critical insights into the issues of our day, then look no further than The Flame Paper. The Flame Paper is written for the people, by the people, who aren't afraid to challenge a mainstream narrative, be it health care, voter fraud, political correctness, or even the one world government. The Flame is full of timely articles, reports, and expert advice written by freedom-loving, truth-telling experts, journalists, and concerned citizens. To subscribe, go to theflameusa.com. Hi, I'm Lynn Redwood, president of the nonprofit Children's Health Defense. Our chairman, Robert F. Kennedy Jr., and our entire team are devoted to ending the epidemic of illnesses and disorders plaguing our children today. Through legal action, we're working to hold industries and government agencies accountable and to establish safeguards to prevent further harm. We're working overtime during this COVID-19 crisis to keep you informed about the politics and science of rush vaccine candidates. Freedom and our children's futures have never been more in jeopardy. But we can succeed. With your help, we can stop the devastation and give our children and grandchildren the healthy future they deserve. To learn more about what we're doing and how you can help, visit childrenshealthdefense.org and sign up for our free news. Please visit childrenshealthdefense.org today. Are you suffering from a sinking feeling that the COVID-19 pandemic is being blown out of proportion and that nothing in the news is making any sense? If so, then there is a fact-based, science-driven news show designed just for you. My name is Del Bigtree, and I am the host of The High Wire, the world's most trusted news source in digital media when it comes to accurate, science-based reporting on the COVID-19 pandemic. From COVID-19 vaccine development to mask mandates, school shutdowns to job layoffs, The High Wire goes beyond providing you with the most accurate, evidence-based investigations. We send you links to the sources for all of our reporting so that you can further your own investigation and come to your own informed conclusions. High above the agenda-driven circus of mainstream media, we do not run. We do not hide from the truth. Instead, we walk the high wire. If you care about truth, then join us on Instagram, Twitter, Roku, and our website, thehighwire.com.